This podcast contains spoilers, might contain explicit language, and is not made for anyone under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to John vs. Film, and can you hear me? I mean, does my voice sound beautiful? That might be because I got myself a new headset. A pretty fancy $200 headset. So, you know, this better be doing the job better than my previous headset, which I'll probably use from time to time. But yeah, anyway, I hope you enjoy the better audio quality. And if you are, if you have checked out my YouTube channel, you've probably already heard it. So, but anyway, we are taking a look at Rebirth of Mothra, or just known as Mosa, in but the 1996 version, which was directed by Okihiro Yoneda and written by Masumi Suetani, with the original concept by Tomoyuki Tanaka, and story based on Mosa Taibagan. Uh, written by Kazuki Omori. And Bagan is its own thing in the kaiju genre. I am not the person to ask about that. So, yeah, anyway, uh, probably going to be a short video, but I'll give you my... Here's the thing. Okay, let's break it down. Here's how things go in John vs. Film. I give you a little synopsis that I wrote, and I talk about five things I like about the movie, and then five things I dislike about the movie. I wrap it all up with my overall thoughts. So, with that out of the way, let's get to the synopsis. After 35 years, Mothra finally gets her own movie outside of the Godzilla series. And this time, it's the start of a trilogy. Mothra faces off against Deskidora in a battle for the Earth. Mothra and her newborn son must succeed in defeating this destructive foe, or else nature will be destroyed. Yeah, you know, it's a very... Whoops, I, I hit my mic. <laughs> my bad. Uh, but yeah, anyway, this is a very simple movie. It's a children's movie. Uh, but it is a children's movie that I grew up with as a little child. So when I first watched this movie, I was uh, the target demographic. So I do have quite the nostalgic bias. And I I must say I actually really do enjoy this. I did enjoy this movie as a kid. And spoiler, I still kind of do enjoy this movie from time to time. But anyway, on to the likes. The first thing I like is the visuals. I mean, this is a very colorful and vibrant movie. And I believe it can look like a Studio Ghibli movie in terms of color just on its own uh because it, it's just it's popping with color it has a great use of color and it's just like it's eye candy you know uh yeah cinematography you know i don't think it's the strongest but at the same time it's that color the use of color in this movie is phenomenal you know truly phenomenal like the the scene in the uh forest when mothra is Using the cocoon, you know, with that giant tree and the green, the luscious green, you know, that was really good. 
use of color there and just Mothra herself is a very colorful icon and yeah it's really good uh i i love the visuals second thing is i think the music also like this is the second thing i like uh, but the music really elevates this movie uh, because it is just an absolutely beautiful score i mean my goodness does this score elevate this movie quite a bit it is again beautiful in every sense of the word it like it's hard to describe because i'm not anywhere at all an expert on music but you know it has good use of light motifs but it just has this very gentle fantasy like you know score to it and the you know lyrical music that's made for this movie it's also phenomenal i like this version of the mothra song and then i like the two other songs sung in the movie it i i just love it for the third thing i love descadora uh it's on honestly it was scary for me as a kid in fact it's it's kind of a terrifying creature now granted I loved guess I loved guess blah I loved Des Ghidorah when I was a kid. I kept saying guess. <laughs> no, but as a kid I did love Des Ghidorah, but I did find him scary. And that's because like they use, you know, elephant uh you know, elephant crying out, I guess, for the war. But oh my goodness, like he is other than the roar, I mean, that roar is a scary roar. It's a bombastic roar. But other than that, you know, he, his name really is Death Ghidorah. Like, he he looks like something that is going to, is just an embodiment of death mixed in with the iconic Ghidorah that we all know to create this hot, you know, this, you know, destructive force, this very scary force you know like this villain with its red eyes and you know and that roar like i mentioned and how it just like consumes everything in its path and now it makes mothra like goes after the larval mothra uh and like makes that like the little one bleed like holy crap like even godzilla when he fought the larval mothra he never went so hardcore as to like bite and lift up the larval mothra and cause the larval mothra to bleed like holy crap this is a hardcore villain especially for a children's mother movie my god like no like like watching mothra bleed like the little one the child mothra bleed is just like oh god you know, this this villain is one that you don't want to mess with. Uh, fourth thing I like is I love the miniature sets. Even if there aren't any, you know, building sets, you know, city sets that are being destroyed, I do love the sets that we did get with the, you know, the dam set as well as, like, the forest background. You know, I know a lot of people don't really care for the forest miniature sets and this isn't this isn't mothra exclusive it's kind of a tokusatsu thing it's a criticism i see with other properties but i actually do like the forest setting you know it's pretty unique uh but then we also got some great miniature sets with infant island and 
then I mentioned earlier the giant tree where Mothra spins his cocoon. You know, that, like, I, I love the miniature sets. You know, even if they aren't the best, I think they help with the feel of this movie. And finally, I like the story. Specifically, a Mothra story, the lore, and the anti-capitalist themes in the human plot. Which, uh, if you listen to my last podcast episode, is something that I mentioned is that Mothra is deeply rooted in the anti-capitalist messaging, and this one's no different. Now, it's also a very heavy-handed environmental movie, but there are things about this movie that go beyond just the environmentalism, and that does attack, or at least criticize capitalism directly, and that is like mainly the father in this movie, uh, because he's a workaholic, you know, he's a... He's the one running the business that is demolishing, you know, the forest. You know, that's the big thing. You know, it's like his company that he works for is the one. And he's like in charge of this, you know. I don't I don't think it's stated that he's the owner, but he's definitely the boss of the organization or at least, you know, this part. So, like, I don't think he's the big CEO, but he's definitely like the middle manager, but he's like definitely responsible of the workforce in that area. And it shows that him, you know, not being there for his family. And, you know, that's like a bit, I think that right there is just the workaholic nature that I think that might've been accidental, but it, I think it does show that, you know, it does tie into the anti-capitalist themes, funny enough, because it shows that he was wrong to be, you know, such a workaholic, like to dedicate dedicate his life to, you know, monet like to this, you know, capitalist goal. And then we got with like the child characters, uh, fighting over book, you know, uh, there's that, uh, which, yeah, it was like one of those like. It was only, like, the boys stopped having to, you know, fight for... Like, the movie shows, like, the siblings fighting each other over a book. You know, which... Yeah, that's not the greatest symbol, but I think it shows, you know, it's a symptom of the consumer's nature, you know, of just fighting for these monetary things. Of course, they're also kids, but... I think another thing to know is that... And a little, little bit in the movie is that the daughter... You know, she gets possessed by Belvira, who is revealed to be the third sister of the Matha fairies, uh, which I'll get into in a second. But she's just full-on consuming, like she's consuming snack food, TV, like all these capitalist things. You know, these things representation of capitalism, so... Even though it's a child's movie and it has and its messaging is very much more towards we gotta protect the environment, I still think it, I love the ways that it might have purposely or accidentally included these anti-capitalist themes that are, you know, again that was like the big theme and message of the first Mothra movie. But yeah, I mentioned Belvira, who is the evil, you know, sister of the Mothra fairies and yeah the lore here is a little different but the 
fairies are not twins. Uh, they're older and younger sister. Uh, with I think Mole being the elder, the elder one, and Laura being the younger one. Now, in the subtitles that I watch, uh, it's stated that Belvera's the Belvera's the oldest. I don't know if that's true. She seems to be more of a middle child the way she acts and, you know, evil middle child, you know, middle child. She has middle child syndrome, I feel like. But maybe she is the eldest. And that's that is sort of interesting is that the eldest fairy is also the like the evil one. Um, which is interesting. And yeah, it's just I kind of like that low lore bit of so just how the. Or, I'm sorry, they're not the fairies in this one. They're called the Elias or something like that. Yeah, but, um... Anyways. Then, finally, you know, I gotta talk about Mothra's story, you know, in this all part. So, what I really like it is kind of sort of a tragic but triumphant move. You know, because the story for Mothra is that... It, it's something that we've seen in the Godzilla series before. Mothra's getting old. She just, you know, gave birth to the egg you know she just laid the egg which we get to see in this movie and it's quite a mystical telling of how she lays an egg and which explains oh that's how she's able to lay an egg that big which is magic <laughs> i mean pretty much i mean that's the opening sequence but yeah it's tragic because the older mothra she's dying and then we get to see the little one hatch from his egg you know early to go fight to help his mother out fight Descadora and there's this really tragic moment in the movie where the little one which we will soon find out to be Mothra Leo watches as his mother dies right in front of him like sinks into the ocean as like uh so in the movie there's a point where Mothra tricks Descador into blasting the dam, which causes a flood. But Mothra, at this point, she is really injured. Like, she is brutally injured from the fight. You know, there's a long fight between her and Descador, and the little one gets involved. But she uses the last of her life to get her, you know, her child into the, you know, away from Descador and back into the ocean because. Uh, we've seen, you know, the Mothra larva can swim in the ocean, so, you know, but she, you know, uses the last of her life, you know, to save the little one, and did, the scene is actually really, really sad and heartbreaking, because the older, like, the mother Mothra, like, struggles to stay afloat underwater, and we see the little one trying to, you know, uh, lift them, you know, his mother up from the water and then we see the little one you know seeing his mother sink into the ocean my god it's it is probably one of the most tragic moments in the kaiju genre just like talk about truly heartbreak even though yeah they're technically puppets but who cares in the sense of the story and how it's portrayed we're seeing a child witnessing his mother die right in front of him and not in a die of old age but die of injuries succumbed in battle died protecting her son you know that is something we can feel human like the loss of a parent 
or seeing, you know, the fear of losing a parent. We can all relate to that. And it is, again, I feel like this that scene right there also elevates the movie, you know, because it, it's just a very tragic moment. It's one of the most tragic moments in the Kaiju drama. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Like, that scene alone is heartbreaking. But despite all that, the little Martha marches on to the find the oldest tree in Japan. He, you know, spins his cocoon and becomes Mothra Leo. And with his new found power given to him by the Earth, he's able to defeat Descadora and avenge his mother. And so I really love the kaiju story, the Mothra story. Not so much the human story, but I'll get to that in a, se- in a bit. But yeah, I think the Mothra story is really great and is one of the most empathetic story, like kaiju stories, we've ever witnessed in kaiju movies. I like you know, everyone who shows the care, like these are characters, not just things, you know, not just obstacles. But anyway, as much as I praise this movie, it's time for me to talk about my dislikes. Uh, first thing is that some of the CGI and some of the compositing shots feel really dated. Did not age well at all. Like uh, the green screen effects, some of them are bad. CGI, some of them are really bad. Um, did did not look good. But that's that's gonna be it for that part. You know, it's it's what the mid nineties. You know. It's just, you know, like, I think the special effects team could have done a better job incorporating the CGI a bit better because the parts and also the composition, because I think some of the ways they did it was felt cheap. It it did feel a little cheap. Uh, second thing I dislike is, so I mentioned earlier that Belvira, you know, like hypnotizes you know the daughter and well that results in a battle between uh belvira and maul and laura which by the way belvira is played by akihano maul is played by megumi kobayashi and laura is played by sayaka yamaguchi uh but yeah anyway there's this like fight between the Elias's but Elias is riding fairy which is a little very little Mothra and Belvira is riding uh her dragon thing I'm not even bothered looking it up right now sorry uh but yeah there's just like this fight in the house and then the children you know the son gets involved and the mother's also tied up and stuff like that and there's the, you know, there's this fight, you know, in this house to try to stop Belvira. Problem is, I think that house battles overstays its welcome. Like, I was like, okay, we get it. Can can we move away from the house? Can Belvira run away? Because this is going to be a very long and tedious battle. And not, not a kaiju battle, but, you know, it, it felt like padding and filler in this movie. Because it's like, oh, we need this movie to, you know, pad out. But 
I think that that was the wrong way to do it. I think that time could have been used for something else, and I'll get to that at the end, but yeah, it did not like the house battle because it it just went on for too long. It also leads me to Belvira. Look, I, she gets better in the other movies, but here she is a bit too annoying. Like, she really is a bit too annoying at times, and her motivation isn't super clear. Like, it's just like she wants to be bad for the sake of bad, which is fine, you know, but still, she does get to be a bit too obnoxious, in my opinion. Uh, then the fourth thing is the human cast. They started off actually pretty interesting, not gonna lie, because there was conflict within the family. You know, this was a family household, but the problem is as the movie progresses, they become less interesting. Uh, like, pretty much because all their problems kind of get resolved halfway through the movie, so it leaves for the rest of the movie them. Like, their development of character, like, their character development stops halfway through the movie, which is a problem. So, and they become very much less interesting characters, and it feels like the movie doesn't know what to do with them after a certain point. So, that was kind of a bummer. And then finally, I think the time that could have been used for the house could have went to the climax because the climax goes by way too fast. Okay, maybe not way too fast, but definitely faster than it should have because it's like, okay, you know, imagine, you know, someone's telling a story like, oh, and this happens and this happens and then all of a sudden, and by the way, my, the little monster becomes Monster Leo and defeats Descaro at the end. That's how, kind of how it feels, you know, it feels like as soon as Ma, you know, becomes Mothra Leo. Uh, the little Mothra becomes Mothra Leo, sorry. Uh, he really wipes the floor with Descadora a bit too fast. Like, there was... It was a very one-sided fight, and it, it just was like... And also, again, it was just... It was too fast, like... And this is not just, like, the Descadora that, you know, they've been fighting throughout most of the movie, because this... Like, the Descador at the end is also powered up. He has wings, so it should be a more even match. Like, something that Mothra Leo should struggle with. But no, Mothra Leo just wipes the floor with Descador pretty fast. And it, it makes it feel very anticlimactic. So, anyway, let's end this all up with my overall thoughts. So, overall, Rebirth of Mothra reminds me of a children's stage show. You know, sort of like the Ultraman stage shows that we see uh, that you can look up online stuff like that you know stuff that you know state shows that happen in japan but i mean that in the best way possible because there is a real charm to this movie despite the faults and it does show its respect to the mother films before it plus the movie is boosted by a fantastic score and gorgeous use of colors i think it's a fantastic movie for kids to watch but still has some fun for the adults in the room so yeah that's it for rebirth of mothra uh, next week, we'll be taking a look at Rebirth of Mothra 2. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube, like to my YouTube channel, Henshin John, to watch my videos. Subscribe to me. I mean, follow me on Twitter, same username, Henshin John, you know, to look at my art. And I'm also available on iTunes, Google Podcasts. Uh, I'm sorry. Not iTunes, but Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and Bombbean.com. I feel like I'm forgetting one, but eh, who cares? Anyway, 
Thank you all so much for listening. I hope to see you guys next time. And take care.